0: Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can.
1: Welcome to today's episode of Student Success Beyond Expectations. And today we are going to be speaking about the importance of parents what their role is when working with their child's educator, whether that educator be working with your child at home or in school. And so today we bring to you Donna Haven, and as her students call her Ms. Donna. Donna has a wealth of information and experience with over 30 years, both in and out of the classroom. She's worked as a see it, which we'll get into what that is, what it looks like for you parents who have children who are young and trying to navigate what services that your child might need. But Donna also has experience in the classroom. In the classroom in third grade, sixth grade, she is certified special education, zero through 21, gen ed, K to six, and she also has her reading certificate from K to 12. So you could just imagine all that Donna has to share with us today. Hi Donna, welcome.
2: Thanks, Lise, it's great to be here.
1: It's so nice to be able to connect with you. In speaking with you, you have so much to offer and it was very timely in that I am publishing a series of episodes that really are for parents. There are parents in um, times of need, they need to know that their child is going to be taken care of and really what that looks like. So can you talk with us about the importance of parents working with educators as a team?
2: Sure. Like, I mean, for the last uh, 13 years, I've worked with children with autism. And as you said, I was a see It. I don't know if you want to explain what a see It is now or in a little bit. Um, but I was one of those teachers, as I'm sure many people see, you know, we pull up at the house, we pull out our bag of our toys, and we go up to the door. Typically, it's early intervention. It's children who've just been diagnosed, not only with autism, but maybe they have behavior issues. Um, and then we're brought in. So I've been an ABA therapist, that's applied behavior analysis. I've also been special instruction.
1: So when we see it was so, a special education itinerant teacher. So when you say you have that bag of tricks with you, that means there you are, you're on your way, walking up that driveway, ready to help that preschool age child, right? Or even younger.
2: Or even younger. You're talking about, it could be a child who was just diagnosed. If, if they're going to be receiving ABA services, you're talking about a child who was just diagnosed. So not
1: even three years old. Right. So it could be, very, very young, so you'll be working directly as a seed with that child while working along with that parent, educating them along the way as to the goals and objectives that you'll be working on with the child.
2: Exactly, and a lot of the times, you know, and I don't just speak for myself, I speak for for coworkers through the years, you know, you have parents who have anxiety, you know, this is their baby, they don't wanna separate and it's fine. You know, just all we said is just give us like the first couple of days so that we can develop a report, then you are welcome to join us. And the reason we say that is because if you're there from the get go, these children know the minute they cry or they get upset, mommy or daddy to the rescue and nothing is going to get done. Uh, but the reason we all come with our, our bag of toys or or games, whatever you want to refer to it. We want to, and I don't want to, i do not, not sure if I want to use the word entice, but we want to get that child excited. We want them to come and join us. So these are all of what we call reinforcers that, you know, we, look what I've got and we start playing with it. And we're hoping that child is going to come over and play with us because if it's child with, with uh, autism, they haven't de- de- developed those skills, you know? So that's what we're teaching because I've had a lot of people, well, what do you teach a two and a half year old? Imitation skills. They don't have that. They don't have the eye contact. They definitely don't know how to sit.
1: <laughs> That's right. That right you know, there, we need to engage them into practicing, right? Yeah. And,
2: and I get it. You know, no you, no two and a half year old sits perfectly. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you, you're sitting there and you're trying to work with them and they're like, <laughs> like this. So it's, you know, the, the basic programs that we start with are uh, appropriate sitting and we've got eye contact. Um, and then it's what we call gmi which is gross motor imitation nvi non-verbal imitation so that's basically like do this do this it's simple things and if you think about it years from now they can play simon says because those are things then they can imitate
1: so for those of us who are listening to this podcast um, and it's not on YouTube. And they're listening to Apple or Spotify. What Ms. Delta just did was she put her hands on her head just to demonstrate that um, those are some of the gross motor integration type of skills that uh, I see it
2: nonverbal, nonverbal imitation,
1: nonverbal imitation, right? That they would want to be able to imitate so that way. Um, they're they're focused enough and being able to learn some of those skills. So for those of you who um, are only hearing us, that's some of what's going on over here when when you could see us on YouTube, when you get the chance.
2: Uh, My apologies, I forget not everybody else, not everybody's viewing us, you know, but we also work on play skills. So we'll get down, we'll have cars and we have the ramp and we're playing with the trains. And what you were saying about as far as how important parents are, um, we are a team. And I said it, I said it to you before, regardless of how many of us are on this team, you can have, um, you know, a special instructor, you can have an ABA therapist, speech, OT, which is occupational therapy, PT, physical therapist. Each one of us plays a role in the child's success. And the parent is part of that team. You know, so yes, we're all playing with that child and we all pack up our stuff and leave. That doesn't necessarily mean the child is done learning because there's so many things a parent can do to carry over what we've done.
1: Can you give us some suggestions as to what parents can do to help with that process?
2: Sure. Um, if you're talking about the really young, young kids, all right, get on the floor and play with them just like we do while we're there. You know, or if you're seeing, you know, if you ask the child to give them, if they put your hand out and you say, oh, can you give me the, go, go get your shoe. You know, and they go over and get their shoe that's that's following directions that's a one step command that you gave that child or you can say oh go get your coat and jacket and come here well guess what that's now three different commands that you gave that child and you didn't even realize it they like i also said through imitation so whatever you're doing watch them and see if they're imitating you and then make sure you're complimenting them giving them that feedback
1: so it sounds like they parents can really help with the process by doing the thing that they're already doing, but with more intention. Exactly. More awareness. And as you said, with the complimenting, I'm big on the way that we praise students and children, because we need to always remember to praise the effort, not the ability. So that might look like, I like the way that you tried to tie your shoe today. And that way, it makes them feel I've I've heard it for so long,
2: but that's really silly. It is. But here's the thing, all right? There is positive reinforcement and there is negative reinforcement. So if I've got two children sitting in front of me, I have one that's just constantly getting up out of his seat, not sitting, rather than just, I told you to sit down, come sit down, come sit down. Billy, would you please sit down? Instead, look at the other. I love how nicely you are sitting. Look at you. Give me a high five. You're giving that one child all of that positive reinforcement. And now the other child's going, well, boy, I want some of that reinforcement. I'm going to sit down. Right. Rather than just giving them attention, we call it negative reinforcement because you're reinforcing that negative behavior.
1: Especially when you're in a situation when you know that other child who's having difficulty focusing is capable of sitting down. Yes. Then it gets their attention. If they're not capable, then of course we oh, adjust
2: yes. for that too. I'm thinking more preschool because what happens is now let's let's move it to a class. Our our classes are what we call a six one three point five. So we, have, we we have six children, one teacher, three adults for half the day, and then four four adults for the other half of the day. So it's a six one three point five. So if we're sitting in our circle time and we have six students and I started off with one child not sitting nicely and I'm giving that attention to that one child to try to get him to sit nicely, guess what? Those other five kids are gonna start to not sit nicely because the one is getting that attention. So now I've got six kids that aren't sitting nicely when all I had to do was compliment those five and give them that positive reinforcement in hopes of getting that one to sit nice.
1: And this is a great strategy for parents who have more than one child at home. Exactly, yep. Great, great. So then we have, um, you know, Donna, how does a parent um, navigate the system in terms of when they have a concern about their child Mm -hmm. and the child is young, where do they go for that initial help? The
2: first thing they would do is go to their pediatrician. Mm All right, Um, pediatrician, you'd go to the, the parent would go to the pediatrician, take their concerns, see what the pediatrician suggests. Um, Then they would follow up. If they think it's autism or POS, um, oh man. Those initials, thank you. It just went right out of my head. All these acronyms, acronyms. We work on, live on acronyms. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. Um, they might suggest go see a neurologist.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but then what they would do is contact the uh, Suffolk County Department of Health. And they would Suffolk say. Town, right.
1: If you live in Suffolk County. So Suffolk County Department correct. of Health. Then they'll have somebody come in to evaluate the child,
2: correct? Yeah. Or or you can take your child someplace to be evaluated. Privately. Um, Nassau County, you would call Nassau County uh, Department of Health.
1: Right, you either go through the county, or you could go through privately, or we start with your pediatrician. And then from there, if there is a delay, um, then they will find out in what areas, and then such as yourself might be called in terms of a theater, that special education itinerant teacher who comes in to the child's house, or if it's deemed necessary, occupational therapy, physical therapy, and that's where they would begin, right?
2: Right, now let's say you have a child who seems typical, but you're seeing some behavior issues. Well, then the same thing, they would bring somebody in. This time, it would be more of just special instruction.
1: That was me. That's when I was to see it. That's you too, right? Yes, we, we just got that. We do like the challenging behavior. Um, yes, yeah, I typically,
2: I, I typically when I hear from an agency, we have a child with a behavior problem.
1: Of the course you do. Donna. <laughs> <laughs> they know who to go to. Tell me about, I find that depending on what needs that children have, their parents have different needs as well. So for instance, a parent who has a child who has physical needs or or, uh, that child who is experiencing speech delays, the parent is different than the parent whose child has difficulty cooperating. Or making positive choices. Have you experienced that? I feel there's a little denial, or there's too much coddling, or. Well, I think choice. at the beginning,
2: I, I think at the beginning, a lot of parents are in denial, you know, and I think a lot of them just have to realize it's okay. It's I'm it's okay. the very it's very overwhelming, yeah. you know, and I think that's one thing I think we need more of our support groups for parents. This way you have other parents that have been through that. Right. You know, And they can tell the, the newer parents, hey, this is what's gonna happen, don't worry about it. Wait until you see the outcome.
1: Right, right. And, and really having that support is wonderful. Actually, Parents is Parent, for those of you out there listening, um, if you're not quite sure where to begin, Parents to Parent is a wonderful place to begin because you can even get on their email list and they will email you activities and service providers and groups on a daily basis and you'll have a whole new community out there. So Parents Parent of New York is an absolutely fabulous resource for um, parents of children of all ages, really. And then in addition, whatever,
2: excuse me, what, whichever agency that the family decides to go through, Oh, excuse me, I've got that tickle in my throat, um, the agencies would also have some support groups available.
1: Right, yes. So that's a wonderful suggestion as well. And I remember you saying about the parent who worries about their child, even at a young age, what they oftentimes worry, if my child can't do this now, will they ever be able to do it when they get older? Can you talk to us about some of your experiences with it?
2: Oh, sure. <laughs> Um, Sadly, I've heard that a lot, and I've I've heard it from cases where I've just started, you know, it could be my first day in there. And so what are they going to be able to do? They can do anything. Just because they have a disability doesn't mean they are not going to be successful. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be the President of the United States. It just may take them a little longer to achieve the goal. and it, it, they're just going to need some extra help along the way.
1: And finding the resources that fit their needs, the earlier the better, will really close that gap of progression and success. And when I talk about progression and success, I talk about it on an individual level, right? Because that's all different for all children.
2: Right. And, and you know what? I've had a lot of parents, we, we talked about early intervention, Early intervention is so important. And just because a child is receiving services for early intervention doesn't mean they're always going to get the services. I have had children who have lost the diagnosis. Um, I have two children in my current class right now who, one, two years ago, had no language. And now he can tell me, no, thank you. I don't want it. You know, it's time to go home. And the other one who just started this September has slight speech delay. You know, her words aren't clear, but she's singing along with our songs. She is speaking. So yeah, early intervention is so important. If if, if the county, whichever county it is, offers you hours, even if it's 10 hours, you may think that's a lot. You know what? Take it.
1: Good point. Take, Take
2: what the county is going to give you. You, your child may not need it in a year, in two years, but get what you can when they are young. I know parents are like, "Oh, but they're only three years old." That's
1: right.
2: You know what? We're coming in and we're playing with them. It's all fun. Yes, are they going to cry? That's yeah, they are going to cry because we're putting demands on them which they're not used to. But they're they're going to come out learning so much.
1: And that's what's most important because when you get them early then bad habits don't form as much as when they're older. Because I find a lot of kids, then what they do is they overcompensate in ways to try and make up for what's difficult for them. But some of those ways might not really be in their very own best interest. It might be avoidance. It might be getting and seeking attention. It might be feeling I'm not good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so withdrawing. So the earlier that parents seek the services, welcome them in, join in within that process, then these habits that can be formed really aren't because now you're working on skills, skills right. that are age appropriate, not expectations that, well, they need to be here now. It's You do a baseline, you find out where they are, right, mm-hmm. and, then, and then you take it from, from there right? That's, that's where especially your ABA comes into play. Can you talk to us about what that might look like for a new parent?
2: Sure. So ABA is applied behavior analysis. Um, and typically what we do is it's called 10 trials. And I apologize to those of you who are not seeing me because I'm going to be doing a lot with my hands right now. So typically when we start with a little one, we are face to face with them. Um, the best chair for a child's an early intimate, is a, is a cube chair, and it is exactly chair. what it's called. It looks like a cube. Okay. Where There's two. Where do different,
1: get a cube chair?
2: A lot of the educational stores have them.
1: Okay. Amazon is supposed to.
2: You know what? Amazon sells everything. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay. But they probably have them there too. Um, typically, when we come in, we may suggest a cube chair for the child, um, and then maybe a table, a little toddler table, so that they can eventually come to you know and play and work on but a lot of our stuff we would do on the floor but let's say for for appropriate sitting so we've got that cube chair right in front of us we are sitting on the floor and we are this way we are eye level with them you know so they're sitting there and maybe they're screaming you know screaming and they're waving their hands and we'll say them sit nice we give them 20 seconds 15 seconds we take their hands we put them on their Look at you, nice sitting. We move their hands. They go back to whatever they're doing. We can be, even if we're singing a song. All right, now let's say to them again, sit nice. We wait, they can't do it. We prompt them to do it. Um, we're not forcing them to sit nice. We're modeling how to sit nice. And there's a big difference. I, I, you know, I don't want any parent to think we are forcing their child to do something. We're not. We're mm-hmm. modeling appropriate sitting. Um, And we do that for 10 trials. So if we have to, it's called, uh, we'll go FM, which is a full manual prompt. PM is a partial manual prompt. And then from there, if they still need a prompt, we'll do gestural. And then it's independent. Mm -hmm. All right. We obviously, our goal is for them to be able to do it independently. Um, Sometimes maybe we just need to point at their hands for them to realize, you know, instead of waving and flapping we just point and they they lower their hands and they put them down never never do we tell a child stop flapping
1: and why is that why is that important for parents to know
2: first of all some children aren't even aware of what they're doing and second every most children on the spectrum that's their Mm stem that's how they get and honestly every one of us has a stem I'll tell you right now, and for those who are, are listening to us, I will take a piece of my hair when we are at a stop sign and I will twirl it with my finger. That is a stem because that's something that soothes me.
1: So a stem is a stimulation, a self-stimulation that is soothing, soothing and it has a certain amount of sensory input that helps children to calm themselves.
2: And it's, but it's not only children because if you think about it, as an adult, we may take a pen that has the little uh, clicker yeah. and we're playing. Or how many of us tap our foot, tap our pen on the tape? Those are all stems. And it's what society has accepted as opposed to what they don't accept. Right. Uh, you know, so a child flapping their hands, society has not accepted that. Right. Um, we may just, you know, maybe apply a little bit of pressure on their shoulders and they'll bring their hands down and the minute their hands are down that look at you sitting so nice I love you we will say quiet hands I love your quiet hands.
1: Yes, yes,
2: you know, as most of us all and I don't have my my name tag here with me, but we have all of our little picture cues on them so it's a quiet mouth quiet body, you know, feet are crisscross feet or you know to yourself and we all have our own little visual cards. Um, but yeah, so we would do that for 10 trials and that's it. A lot of ABA, it's all 10 trials. And I'm sure somewhere I, I was taught why we do 10 trials
1: <laughs> all work with the right child at the right time. <laughs> um,
2: and obviously, you know what, depending on the child, if we're seeing that the child is getting it after five trials, we are not going to go to 10 mm-hmm. because what's going to happen is after five trials if i said to you you know five times clap hands and now i'm still going clap hands and you've done it eventually the child's gonna go they're gonna do something else and now you've lost them so you went from having a successful five successful trials to now going into 10 not so great trials and the child is now miserable
1: so really effective practitioners such as yourself will know and keep a record of the progress that the student is, or the child is making, be able to even show the parent, this is where your child started, this is the progress, and now we're going to move on to a different objective or a different skill. Exactly, so what happens is each mm-hmm. child,
2: and it, it does it even at the home, we all, they each have a target book. Mm-hmm. And in there is all of their programs, it has all of their steps, we take data every time we're in there. Now this is only at the ABA. Instru- right. special instruction, we don't have a target book, we don't run programs. That is mostly, um, if a child is receiving special instruction, we're working on uh, taking turns, waiting, um, playing appropriately, things like that. But if a child has um, a diagnosis and they're receiving ABA, then yes, we're taking data. Um, we graph, you know, after every every session we graph. And that is so great because yes, like you said, you can then see the progress that child is making. You know, the parents are like, well, I don't know. I do, look, when we started this program, they were down here. They couldn't even do it. And now look, it's all the way up here.
1: Right. They've got it. Right. Individual, their, their progress is individual. And when we begin to see our own children as their own person, then we can easily say, this is where they are. This is where to be functioning in a healthy way they should be, what's their, what's their ability here? How far can, can my child go without frustrating, but really just being happy and feeling good as accomplishments continue. So that's such a great way and something to remember is, this is the progress my child is making yeah. and that's what I wanna see progress. Have you had parents want to join in? on some of your sessions so they learn how to reinforce some of these skills?
2: I have. um, When a child is in uh, receiving ABA services, typically the families receive one hour of parent training. Um, I'm not sure if it's a week or if it is a month. It all depends on the district. Um, So in that case, somebody on the team goes in and that hour is devoted to the parents. Typically we ask that the child is still present this way. Yes, we can show, you know, how we're doing things. And then if the parent has any questions.
1: Great. Because I think that would be very important for the parents to experience along Mm -hmm. with the practitioner and the educator. And how do I connect with my child? How do I really reinforce those skills most effectively? So, and what do you say to the the parent that wants to get involved, but doesn't really know how, like they don't know their role. They don't know their place. How should I leave the educator alone? Should I be in the room? Like, what do you say to that parent who's so hesitant?
2: I say that there's times in the session that you are welcome to come in. And that's the hard thing. And, and I, and I get it. All right. You know, your, your, your child is getting services And now you hear your child crying. And I always say it to the parents, rest assured, I am not doing anything to your child except maybe asking them to clap their hands or stand up. But the child knows that if they cry, mommy's going to come in. Good point. So what we've said is, you know, don't come in when he's crying. Let's wait a little bit. And when he's calm, pop your head in. And say, hey, how is everybody How is everybody doing? You know, and then that could be the break. This way he realizes, oh, I didn't have to cry for mommy to come in.
1: That's you know, wisdom we, right there. That's very, very effective. And that's hard for a parent, especially yeah. a new parent. Yeah. And just wants to make everything okay, right? And then they're just getting to know uh, the educator in their yeah. home as well. Yeah. So just that's kind of meeting them in the middle. Let them go through the process. As soon as it's quiet, you know your child wants to start to breathe, to calm down just a bit, pop in. Everybody okay? Yeah. Okay. You know, we also, from- depending on how
2: long we've been working with the child, um, they may also have a card that says, I need a break. Okay. You know, like with our, our friends who are nonverbal, we may int- start introducing them with a textbook, book, uh, picture exchange communication system. So typically they give us a picture, they exchange it for what it is that they want. So if they, they want a break, we'll teach them to, to give a, to us the picture for break or if they're verbal, they can say, break, I need a break. That break, they can do whatever they want for their break. It means you're not placing a demand on them during that break. Um, and, and typically a first then board comes in perfect with that time because then- they Oh, can yes. You know, first we're doing this, then we're doing this. And then we count down how many more times we've got. Oh, look, you only have to do it one more
1: time. Then you can go see mommy. Visuals are imperative and being concrete. Uh, is first, then do, then it's, it's just the, this is what you need to do. And this is the consequence for it. It's consequence, a lot of times when we say consequence, people think it's negative, but consequence could be great. You look, know, I, I just like stims.
2: We all are the same way. Go to work, then you get a paycheck. Exactly, <laughs> do then. That's right, that's right. You know, I don't you think don't there's any, I, I don't <laughs> think there's anybody out there that's gonna go to work and say, no, thank you. I don't really want that paycheck. <laughs> I don't want the then. <laughs> you know, so it, it's it's with all of us, regardless of our age, we, we all still use a first then board. Some of us are up here.
1: Right. So really what we're talking about is, is the skills being taught explicitly, those really being taught, the beginning of the skill, middle of it, becoming independent with it. These are really life skills. That yeah. We're talking about. Starting very young. Sometimes it, they're learned naturally by children. And sometimes we need a little extra help. Yeah, exactly. So when we look at it like that, then we don't feel bad for our child, we say, okay, this is a skill my child needs. Let me get him there. And this is how, because right. when we feel right, uh, when we feel bad for our child, then comes the mommy guilt or the daddy, I should have done this because we want to fix it. But when we say, okay, there's a solution here. And that solution is for my child to progress the most that he or she can with this support. And right. It's simple, keeping emotions down and really using your resources. And that's where you come in.
2: in And and you know what that is? We're coming in to to assist you, to help the child. We are not there to criticize you. We're not there to say you're not a good parent.
1: Right. No, No, we are just there to help you. Right. You feel like you're walking into a team like here. I'm just one of the pieces to the puzzle. I'm not the puzzle. I'm just a piece. And you know what? I may not have the answers to everything.
2: So if, I, if a parent asks me, well, what do you think about this? You know what? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but let me talk to somebody else and see if I can get the answer for you.
1: Right. Right. And that's part of the, the really solid foundation of communication, right? Now you've had so much experience between non-school age children, as well as school age children and students. One of my Real purposes in building this podcast is opening up communication and bridging the gap that just innately happens between even whether it be children who are learning from home, to preschool educators, to school age educators. Now I'm going to go from elementary educators within themselves from grade to grade. And then we go from elementary to middle school communication, middle school to high school. Because I always say during my webinars, I like having educators or service providers or parents of different ages and grades together. Because so often we, we know what we know so well, but we need to remember where they came from mm-hmm. and where they're headed. So when we can have those discussions with one another, it helps us to remember, they might look like that, or my student might look like he, sh- he could be in, or is in ninth grade, but he's acting more like a fifth or sixth grader. I need to remember how far he's come, yep. what his needs are, even though they he looks like he's a ninth grader, but his needs are different. Right. So my question to you is, do you have any advice for either parents or educators in bridging that gap of times of transition to one another? So there's this great many years or times that we're working on, on helping these children. We wanna make sure all that is brought to the next following year or stage in their development. Do you have any, any suggestions? I have seen parents
2: who have kept books with all, I have seen, yeah, they go to district meetings with their binders. Yes. Because you are your child's own best advocate. You know what's best for your child. Keep a journal, all right? Write down milestones. Hey, at this time they did this, this time they did this. Um, Because yes, there is a whole list of milestones that your child should have at each age. No, that doesn't mean that your child must hit it. Those are suggestions. So you keep a journal. I think would be one of my suggestions. Would be just jot down the milestones. All right. Um, perhaps pairing them with an older child so that that child could be a role model. Um, especially you know, I if guess-
1: there was a child who was in school and they had they happened to be getting the same teacher or they might be in the same school. Really talking about them but to that educator. This is where, um, these are the things that we've been working on. This is something, a strategies that work with my child. I know you have your own strategies and style, but I just wanted to share with you where we're at. I probably would wait and
2: not bombard, not say that to the teacher at the very beginning.
1: <laughs> but at because, some point.
2: Yes, yes. I would say let the child get, get acclimated the first couple of weeks um, because yes, you are your child's best advocate, but I think I can speak on behalf of any teacher, if a parent all of a sudden comes in and says, listen, my child can do this, can do this, can do this. yeah, Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. I can't wait to see your child do that. Yes. But you have that fine line of being supportive yes. and being bossy. Yes. <laughs> sure.
1: True, and that's where we have to trust in our uh, the teachers and the educators, and still have an open communication too with one another. Yes,
2: you know, I think with last year with COVID, I think the parents got to see, you know, what their kids' day is typically like.
1: I guess you see know, them. I know it was
2: difficult for our kids,
0: right. and I know the
2: parents were like, "Oh my goodness, I am wiped." Right. You know, but it was great because I'm saying great. It was wasn't really that great, but the parents were part of the sessions.
1: Yes, so they, they got were. to see, yes. you know,
2: not only how their child behaves, but how we reacted mm-hmm. and how we followed through. Yeah, we were still here with our first DEN boards, even via Zoom, we right. still had our first, you know, it was myself and my TA. So if I was running, you know, circle time, each of my TAs had their first then board. but mm-hmm. all, they all had their visuals. You know, we sent so visuals scary. home for every child. So they had the same thing we had.
1: Absolutely imperative. Visuals are a very, very big support, especially for children who have special needs or who struggle. Can you talk to us about um, how you have found visuals to work for, for, uh, for children? Sure. Um, it, it,
2: I think it's, a, it's especially important if you have a child who doesn't have that much language. So they know what they want, but they don't know the word for it. So, you know, um, I'm going to go again to like my circle time. So I have children who are verbal and I have nonverbal. And I have each of the pictures of the songs that we sang at circle time. It's the same songs every time. You know, my friends who are verbal can tell me what they want. And my one friend could try, he'll either sign it So for those of you who are not seeing me, I'm moving my fingers like the itsy bitsy spider, or there's the visual and he can hand me the picture of the itsy bitsy spider. Um, We also have, you know, the visuals bathroom, no bathroom because a lot of our friends get anxiety. They get upset if we're going to the bathroom. So they have that opportunity to tell me no bathroom. And so I have it on my walls. We have a picture of of a toilet bowl And then there's a picture of a toilet bowl with a in a circle with a line through it, Mm -hmm. you know, because the
1: light, which helps with
2: our transitions, because yes, we may we think that he's ready, but we don't want to. Again, I don't want to use the word force, but we don't want to bring him to the bathroom because then he's going to say, "This is a place I don't want to be."
1: Right, right. We want to empower the child and having that ability to say what we want or not want and say it meaning. Say it could mean that they're handing you or showing you a visual cue or card mm-hmm. or picture or pointing to it exactly. or to say the word and you know what it means in their in their language as they're beginning to develop and grow. It's empowering, and that's what the effort is going to that's what's going to really harbor that effort that children need so much to be able to and and you know what a lot of
2: times they may not know the word and that's something i was just saying so they may not know the word but if it's paired with a picture yes oh okay so if i said to them um okay good example i say to them we're going to the playground but if i show them the picture of our playground oh or the same thing it's it's Tuesday we're going to the gym and if I show them that we're going to the gym all of a sudden I've got six kids who
1: are ready now to leave right opposed to zero just before making that connection that sometimes they're not able to visualize themselves right and over time hopefully they learn to pair that word with the picture right well that's
2: it and eventually even with any prompt we eventually fade that prompt. Mm -hmm.
1: Right.
2: And fading means to? Eliminate it. Right. Little by little, by even if it's just, so now we go from the full picture of the gym to a half a picture of the gym. There you go. To a
1: quarter picture of the gym. It needs be. Yes, And that's great for parents. Because parents, what you can do is, if you absolutely know that your child loves to do something But you know also that it's not until they actually get there that they're like oh yeah that's right i really wanted to be here and having fun thank you so much i love you what you could do is get that picture and then pair it with the one word keeping it simple then as they're really remembering that picture and what it means now like donna was saying or miss donna was saying what you could do is take half of that picture so now they're also relying on their own memory right. to remember what that other half is and now you're building that area in their brain that really they struggle with to remember in pictures but now you're actually working it out like its own muscle so that's a great way to reinforce a strategy that is see it just like Donna would be working on you know visuals are very big in your practice yeah so that's fading but you know what wait a minute
2: going back and i keep going back all right if you're going to a food store how many of us make a list yes that's our visual there that's our visual prompt you know all right i need this and this and this so i've got my list and then when i take it to the store i'm walking around oh that's right i've got to find this i've got to find that
1: and you know what donna that's so funny because when when I do uh, my, when I teach my webinar about positive um, self-talk, I talk about working memory. And that's what you and I are really talking about here. And I use that example as adults. How many of us go to the store and say, I've got it. I'm gonna remember, it's like three things that I need. I'm gonna remember. But we come out with 20 and we forget what we really went there for. Mm-hmm. And that's pairing the word with the picture in our own mind being able to see, okay, at the end, did I get? And remembering to think that, did I get what I needed? Right. Same thing with the playground. Oh, playground is that the word with the swings? Got it. Okay, and that's and that's why when we're talking about the um, the times that these are really adult skills, living skills, we're just starting out younger on their level. So um, of, of how important it is. And to take it stage by stage developmentally. And don't worry if your child isn't where they quote unquote air quotes to say that they need to be. Is your child progressing? And that's where you say, Donna, how's that data? How are we doing in there? You
2: know, Is the other the other thing I would say, and you and I said this before, do not compare your children.
1: Yes, we need to talk about that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Do not compare your children. What does that look like in your world, Donna? You do because I could go on and on about it. So I want, I want to give you the floor. Or, <laughs> sure. well, my my first child was doing it at this age.
2: I don't understand why he's not doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, my other children, my other child was potty trained way early, and my son now is four years old and he's still not potty trained. That that's fine. That's fine. As I said, each child is going to get to where they need to be at their own time. Um, As I said to to Lisa before, I always say it, this is the analogy I've used for so many years. You can plant five trees, they are not all going to grow at the same time, regardless of, you you give them the same amount of water, you give them the same amount of sunshine, they're not all going to grow and they're not all gonna be identical. They're going to bloom when they are ready. And that is the same thing with children. Just keep giving them that nourishment. They will bloom when they are ready.
1: And when we believe that, then we're less likely to say it out loud in front of our children. And so many times our parents do that. They, it comes from a heart, a place of love and concern. But I've seen, as I probably you have as well, the little faces next to them, are, they just drop like, oh no, I'm not doing it. And then they get into school and they're translating it into, I can't do what the other kids are doing. Right? It's easier for them and it's hard for me. I'm not good enough. And so that's where I even I remember that before I started the comparing, that's where I wrote one of my books. It starts out with Henry thinking he can't read a new book and all the other kids can because it all starts from their experiences and what they believe in within themselves from when they even be, before they even get to school you know
2: important? teaching teaching EI when regardless of whether the child has been with us for a month or 3 months anytime they are successful with something and i again i speak for my coworkers we all make such a big deal because it is it is you know whether it took yeah. them 5 5 times to do it or some of my children have been running. We've been on the same target for like 60 something times. Right. right. But they got, and, and it's the simplest thing. Touch your head. And they touch their head. Wow, oh, you touched your head. That is so awesome. Right. You, you know, and the parent would be like, oh, what did they do? What did they do? He touched their head and the parent's like, oh. No, oh, that
1: is a big thing. It is a big thing for them. The effort was there. Think thing about having to learn something for so long and trying for so long and not getting it exactly the way you tried to do it. Because kids know what they wanna be doing. They know where they they wanna be. It's getting there, that's the hard part. As long as they put them in the effort and then they get there, no matter how long it takes, remember it's their time, their effort, and it's their emotional, even positive perception that says, I'm gonna keep on going. I'm going to get this. I'm going to get
2: it. What I, what I have always found amazing, and then I spoke about my bag of toys, my reinforcers. I could be sitting in front of a child and I'll tell them, you know, touch your nose. Nope. They'll sit there. They don't, they don't do anything. And I reach into my bag and I'll pull something out. All of a sudden their eyes wide and I'll say, touch your nose. And all of a sudden, wow, they know where their nose is. Then they're touching it. That's great. Let's see if we can do it again. Touch your nose. And they touch their nose.
1: Right,
2: I'm like, you've been playing me this whole time. I knew you could do it,
1: and what you did was actually very important. Actually, what you said was really important for other educators and parents to know. Now, although it comes naturally to you, it's it may not to others. So, what you did was you gave the um, the visual prompt. So you put your finger to your nose, but you didn't say do it. Just you didn't just say do it again. You said touch your nose again. So you actually said specifically what you were looking for. Because sometimes students or children, they still need that specific language to be able to engage in the skill that they need. Saying it, do it again, might not be enough. So where you don't realize there's a distinction there, you might think that child's not capable yet that they are capable, sometimes it's us and what we say or what we don't say. So right, and
2: on that same level, just like if I said to you, you're doing such a good job. What am I doing a good job at? Right. So it's important if you're going to give that compliment, you're, you did such a good job hanging up your backpack. You're there doing such a good job waiting. Right. Make sure you're always following it up with what it is that they're doing.
1: Specific praise. Now they can get that visual picture in their mind of what they did. And we're building that same working memory that we were just talking about with fading right. the picture. So now they have to visualize it in their brain, that other half of the playground. Now they have to visualize, oh, I did hang up my book bag and it was on the hook. Lots yep. of the times they could take it the next step too. The more they can see, the more they can do, the more they can do, the better they feel about themselves. And the more that you, Donna, I they you.
2: Very, very excited. I get a little too excited. A lot of my children will do like this. I'm like, I know I'm too loud,
1: too loud. I know. Sorry. (laughs) But you know, they probably feel your really positive energy and they know what a great place you come from. They're probably just like, there's Miss Donna again. I know I got it, Miss Donna, I did it.
2: I, I can't tell you how many times I've had a child put their fingers like this on my mouth. I, I know, I'm too loud. Okay.
1: <laughs> thank you for telling me what you need. Exactly, you need thank you. <laughs> <laughs> we could turn anything into a learning and reinforcement. Oh, definitely, yep. Right. Uh, Donna, this was really such a pleasure to have you uh, on. Before you leave us today, is there one student or one experience that you can think of that has touched your heart in a way that you just know will have changed your life forever or one that you will always remember? Or are there just so many?
2: Oh, I, I have had so many. I mean, I've had children that are nonverbal. right? And then I have children that are extremely verbal. Um, so I will end with one of my extremely verbal, right. um, as I see it as an older child, this child was maybe 12, 12 or 13. So literally he'd get off the bus. He'd have maybe 10 minutes and I would be there at the door. And I remember knocking on the door. He opened the door and he goes, you're here again. I'm here again. I don't have homework. You don't need to be here. Mm. Yes, I still have to be here. And he said to me, but I don't have homework. Didn't you hear me? And I said, I did hear you, but we still, I, we still have things to do. And he was just like, oh, <laughs> I was like, that's great. I, I understand you're upset. Maybe you're a little angry. Why are you angry? You know, so again, like you just said, turning anything into a lesson. Tell me why you're angry. Well, because I can't play a game. Why can't we play a game together? You know, you said you don't have any homework. Let's play a game together. And he was, we could, yeah, go get a game. We'll play a game together. So we worked then on taking turns. And Yes, I said he was 13 or 14, but it wasn't even just playing the game. It was taking the turns because he just wanted, he wanted to basically be in charge, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: you know, and then if he wasn't winning, the game was done. Right right so. so it it was dealing also with his anger so mm-hmm. we got to work on a lot of different things uh but yes yeah, so that one is and and that was probably a good 7 years ago
1: yeah
2: but it was Oops. just you know after for so many years being I've been with the little ones and then gre- being greeted with you're here again it's like yeah okay i'm here again <laughs> <laughs> i not going anywhere just yet. I, I feel like a lot of the little ones, if they could speak, they would say that same thing. She's here again.
1: <laughs> I, had, I had taught, it was funny. I had taught um, <clears throat> kindergarten and then I taught um, 12th grade. So I actually had, yes. And some of these my at that time, the kindergarten, they were classified emotionally disturbed. And then when I taught high school, it was resource room. So I actually had some of the same students as resource room students. Is that oh, incredible? Of wow. One? These little round faces that you have when they're four or five years old. Now they're way towering over me. And I got to see where they are. Like it's they were probably thinking, wow, I have you again, you know, but it was it's it's uh it's really great to be able to share within their own um Really cool experiences, right? And career for them. I've
2: always, I always say to the parents, please keep in touch with me. Let me know what they're doing. And one parent, I think, put it so nicely. She's, of course, you're part of this journey that we're on. Oh, there you go. Of course, I'm going to keep in. And I was like, I love that because it is, it is a journey.
1: Yes.
2: It's part of the team. Part of a a journey that's going to have some uh, bumps in the road, Mm -hmm. some obstacles, but together as a team, we can get through it all.
1: That's right. That's why they call it building blocks too, right? Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. So Donna, you have been hosting for 12 years now a fundraiser. Can you tell our listeners about this fundraiser?
2: Sure. So on October 10th, down at the Key Tiki in Patchogue, which is here on Long Island. Um, if you're going to try looking up the word Patchogue, it's spelled like Pachogi. <laughs> um, it doesn't look the way it's pronounced. Um, But it's from 12 to 4, it's on a Sunday, and all the money that's raised from the event goes to NSASA, which is Nassau Suffolk Autism Society of America. And the reason it goes there, um, that money stays right here on the island. NSASA, Michelle and Suzanne are amazing. They put together events they've had events at Splush Splash, they've had events at Adventureland. and these events are for children on the spectrum or their siblings um, where and it's just them at that place at that time so as parents I know a lot of them because your your child doesn't look like everybody else or maybe they get a little anxious going places you may not take them out that often You're in a situation now with other families that are in that same boat as you, um, who are going through what you're going through. Um, And then your child gets to just be a child like all their peers. Um, But that was the one thing I really love about NSASA. The money stays right here on Long Island. We're not sending it to someplace else, it's not going to research, it's going to the families in our own community.
1: So, our listeners want to read up on this or get some solid you know information that they could see is there a place that they can go or call for the the fundraiser? Fundraiser?
2: on facebook there is actually an event page if you type in 12th annual actually i think i might have it listed as donna's donna's 12th annual autism acceptance fundraiser, autism autism. Autism yeah. acceptance, fundraiser. acceptance because i don't know if you know April is always Autism Awareness Month. And this year it was changed. It's now Autism Acceptance. Great. It was a puzzle symbol for so many years. It's always been the puzzle symbol. It's now um, an eternity symbol. Ah,
1: beautiful. Really beautiful. Donna, Ms. Donna, it was absolutely (laughs) wonderful having you here with us. It has
2: been fantastic chatting with you. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. I hope you come visit us again and speak with my listeners again. Thank you. I would love it anytime. Great.
0: Take care. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com. Amazon and teacherspayteachers.com for ready to use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout out on social media.